Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans. Today's the big day, right? I'm be anticipating this day. I got some plans for after, after the service. Yeah. You're going to, what are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to get lunch. <laughs> lunch is good. Lunch is good. It is the day of the big game, right? Everybody looking forward to it? Eh, yeah, your, your team isn't playing. My team isn't either. So it's like, that's eh, there. But some of you are still interested in football, aren't you? How many diehard football pan- fans are there? There's, there's, there's a lot of you. There's a lot of football. Okay, here's a pop quiz for you. Can there be a tie in football? Yes and no. That's the diehard football fan, right? Yes and no. Yes, during the regular season, a game can end in a tie. But in the postseason... No, it will always end in a, no matter how many overtimes it takes, it's going to end with one winner and one loser. And so by the end of the day today, there is going to be one team that's a champion and one that's going to be the loser. And that is really the way it is in life. So often you see that there are winners and losers in this life. And so often the, the losers kind of outnumber the winners. For instance, I even in the, in the football game today, there are 32 football teams. Each team has 53 players. And so that amounts to a grand total of 1,696 total players in the NFL right now. But the end of the day, only 53 of them are going to be winners, and 1,643 of them are going to be losers on top of the who knows how many people wanted to actually play football pro football and didn't even make that. And so the the number of losers, you could say, far outnumbers the number of winners. And that's not just in the, on the field, that's not just on a court, but that's in pretty much every area of life, all the arenas that we live in. And so understand this as we talk about this section today that we're going to talk about. I titled this message, No Place for Losers, because in this congregation, in the body of Christ, I believe we, we really struggle with living in this age because it's an age of manufactured perfection. The digital camera has changed everything. Where, where things are so different now, we can paint a, a perfect picture, or at least as perfect as we can make it, of what we want people to see. It, it's a very manufactured thing. And so now we, we've find ourselves measuring up to standards that are artificially high. We, we see things that are expectations that just become overblown. You know, it's just social media, all these things where you can end up, if you spend too much social time on social media, you kind of end up feeling like, man, everybody else has a life but me. And, and so you look at all these things that happen and you think, man, it's hard to keep up with it all. And, and you can't help like feel like everybody else has a good life. Everybody else has it together. Everybody has excitement happening except me. I'm the boring person. I'm the loser. Everybody else having a good time. It's a pretty easy conclusion to make. And in reality, there's there's two truths to this. One is that 
you know, there is always somebody better. There's always somebody more competent. There might be somebody better looking or more skilled. And, and so it's easy to feel like, eh, I'm a loser there. But there's also the biblical side of it. The biblical side of it is that, you know what, there's a truth in the scriptures about the condition of man. It's not just that, you know, I live with people that are harsh and brutal and all they do is put me down. Or it's not just that, you know, oh, you know what, I'm painfully aware of the, the flaws that I have in my life. In fact, if I were to ask pretty much anybody in this room, don't answer this question, but if I were to ask, hey, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? You already know what it is. I would change this, I would change that, I would lose this, I would gain that. We all know that thing in our life that we feel like, man, I come up short there. And then we have to face the reality of what the scriptures say about us because the, the reality is this, the, the Bible paints an accurate picture of man. And the accurate picture of man is on our own, it's not that great of a picture. You're in the book of Romans, we're just going to take a real brief survey of a few passages starting in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes and says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so we see that our, our thoughts are dark, our hearts are futile, our thoughts are futile. Chapter 2, verse 5, But in accordance with their hardness and impenitent heart are treasuring up for yourself, wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so he describes our heart as hard and subject to wrath. Chapter 3, verse 10, he says, There is none righteous, no, not one. And so there is not a person in this planet that is righteous on their own. And in fact, he goes a little further in verse 12, and he says, There is none they have all turned aside and they have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And so he says, we are unprofitable. And that word unprofitable is an interesting word. It's very descriptive. It, it reminded me of a, a, a situation that happened a while back, years back actually, when I went to the refrigerator late at night and I was feeling thirsty. I don't know why, but I just wanted a glass of milk before I hit the sack. And so I, I went to the refrigerator, it's late at night, and I picked up the carton and I looked at the distance it would take to walk to the cupboard to get a, a glass, and I looked at the carton, and I thought, why would I want to walk all the way over there? It's night. And so I opened the carton, and I, you know, did one of those. I just drank straight from the carton. I know none of you have ever done that before. But I made a mistake, tactical error, because in those days, my kids weren't drinking much milk at all. And that carton had probably been in that refrigerator for quite a while because it had actually become kind of solid, kind of chunky. And so as I felt those chunks going down my throat, yeah, that scream right there just about said it, right there. It was like, that was the feeling right now. What did I just do? And that word for unprofitable is that exact, it's the word that describes something that has gone rancid. And so he, he looks at us as we become unprofitable. He goes on, last verse, verse 19, he goes on to say, now we know that whatever... The law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so when you consider that picture that the Bible paints of man, it's a pretty dark picture. It's realistic, it's accurate, 
but it is dark. And, and why would God do that? Why would he paint such a dark picture of you and of me? Well, the answer is, I think, pretty simple. Because in the, the darkness of our lives, the darkness of our sin, it makes the, the grace of God more bright, more magnificent, more amazing. That God could have grace upon people like me. It's really mind-blowing. It's astounding. And so the good news is this. As we consider the entirety of what the Bible teaches, for those of us who are in Christ today, our condition is completely different. We have, there's been a big transition because we have gone from being people who are guilty to people who are justified. And the word justified means declared righteous. You have been declared righteous by God through the, the blood of Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. We were slaves of sin, but now we are sanctified. That big word means we are set apart for holy purposes. We were wretched. In fact, Paul says in chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But then in the next chapter he says, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so there has been this huge transition, this transformation, this change that has taken place in your life and mine because we've come into this relationship with Jesus Christ. But on our own, we were just a mess. But in faith and in Christ, there are no losers in this room. You understand that. You need to understand there are no losers in this room. In fact, the theme of this passage, and in fact, I'm going to break up the passages we're going to look at. If you want to start turning there, Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. It seems to be that we are more than conquerors. He will say that in one of the verses, but it just seems like the overwhelming theme of this passage, the big idea is that, you know what? You are not defeated. You're not a loser. You're more than a conqueror. And that, to me, is great news. It's something that we need to hear. And so we're going to look at this section in three parts. The first part is in verses 31 and 32, where we learn this. You are more than a conqueror. Why? Because God is on your side. Take a look at it with me. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so let your mind kind of wrap around that for a minute. God is for you. He is not just putting up with you. He is not just tolerating you. He is not just being patient with you. He is not just saying, okay, well, you know. He is for you. He is on your side. And some people really struggle with that. They, they really think, man, how could God be for me? He just says he is. He loves you. And because he's for you, the Bible asks this question then. If he, God is for you, then who can be against you? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, think about it logically. Who can be against us? I can think of three. I think the world is against us. I think the flesh is against us. And I think the devil's against us. So when he says who can be against us, it isn't the idea that you become a Christian, you won't have an enemy in the world. Have you found that to be, you know, do you have an enemy out there? Oh, yeah, you do. You have probably a few of them. I do. And so... Practically, it's not that we don't have any enemies at all, but if God is for us, 
then who's going to be against us? The idea is because God is superior to, he's overwhelming, he is above anything that could be against you. That passage in 1 John 4 comes to mind where, where John writes and says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so God is for you. How do you know? You might say, how, well, how do I know? How do I know God is for me? Well, you look at the next verse. Take a look at verse, I believe it's 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And so he's for us. He proves it by doing what? By giving the very best he could. He couldn't give anything better than his own son. So it says he did not spare him. He didn't spare his own son. That word spare is the idea of delivered over. And it takes us back to a passage and a story that I'm sure you're very familiar with when Abraham took his son Isaac and he laid him on an altar and was ready to take his life in obedience to God, calling for that sacrifice. And of course, you know, God stopped him and said, I will provide myself as that sacrifice. But he knew at that point, and Abraham knew as well, that, you know what, there is nothing I will hold back from God. And that was the key. That was the point of that whole, that whole lesson in Abraham's life, is that so many people have something in their life that they will hold on to and they won't surrender to anyone or anybody, even God. Sometimes it's a, a thing. Sometimes it's an activity. Sometimes it's even a person. But there are people that have this thing that is so precious to them that it's like, I'm not giving this up for anyone. But when it came to Abraham, he was willing to give even the thing that was the most valuable to him because his love for God was greater. So he would deliver up his son. And that's when the Lord would say, hey, you know what, Abraham, I can bless you. I can bless you abundantly because there is nothing that you hold higher than me. There's nothing that you hold higher than your relationship with your living God, your creator. And so I can bless you because I know these things that will come into your life won't take you away. And so now we see that he actually got that from the father himself who would deliver his own son, revealing how much he loves you and I. And so if God would deliver the very best he has, his own son for us, then it's a logical thing. What would he hold back? What would he keep from you if he would deliver his own son for you? And the answer is, well, nothing that you really need. And so he delivered him up for us all. We learned the lesson. And there's three things I want you to walk out of this room with today. I hope you get more, but if you can get these three things, I think we're good. And the first is this. God is on your side. Just let that sink into your mind and then into your heart. Walk out of this place knowing God's on my side. Secondly, Verses 33 through 36. This is part number two of this Bible study. And in this part, we see that you're more than a conqueror because our enemies are defeated. Our enemies are defeated. He asked already, who can be against us? And I think one of the answers is, we know the devil's against us. That's a given. 
And one of the things that the devil does, notice this, verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is going to bring a charge or an accusation against you? Well, the answer, Romans chapter 12, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you to God. He accuses God to you. He accuses the people around you to one another. And so there's always accusations flying with the enemy. And so you have to understand that there is a real enemy. And he works in real ways. Now, one of the things that I learned, we all learn, or we're learning now, at least, from Pastor Chuck is this. And I remember him saying this so clearly. That in the area, or in the arena of the physical, you and I are no match for the enemy. We're no match. He can overwhelm us. He can overcome us. He can defeat us in the realm of the flesh, in the realm of the physical. Great example of that is in the book of Acts, where these, these men, these are the Jewish exorcists, if you will, and they were called the sons of Siva. And they tried to cast a demon out of this, this man, and, and so they said to him, we cast you out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And so the man speaking to these guys said, well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But then he says, but who are you? And then they went, I think they go, uh-oh. Because then this guy jumped them, all of them, stripped them naked and ran them out of the house. And, and so we can see in the area of the physical, it's not a good place to be dealing with anybody. In the area of the spiritual, when you have Jesus between you and anything demonic, I'm telling you, you have the upper hand. You have the advantage. Years ago, a couple came to me and they, they called me and said, we need some marriage counseling. And so I said, well, sure, why don't you come after the Bible study? I'll meet with you. We'll meet in the office. And so after the midweek study, they came in and they sat down in the office. And it's not a good thing when one of the people that you're counseling introduces themselves saying, I'm a cage fighter. I was like, okay, that's good. And, and so as we're, as we're sharing and I'm talking and just kind of opening the word to them, it was, now, if, I know you don't know me real well, but let me just kind of give my own kind of self, I don't like to exaggerate things. I don't like to, to make things more flamboyant than they really are. I like to just create them real black and white. This is, this is, it is what it is. And so when I tell you this, I'm just telling you it is what it is, even though it's, it's kind of a, a an event that happened in my life that it doesn't happen often, and I don't seek it, but it did happen. And, and so as I was counseling this couple, the husband's countenance, something in his face, literally became very, very different. So different that I actually, I asked his wife, has this ever happened before? And she goes, no, this has never happened before. And, and it's the one time in the ministry that I can without a doubt say I was dealing with a demon-possessed person. This guy was demon-possessed. And so now I'm thinking, great. I've got a demon-possessed cage fighter in my office. I'm by myself. Where's a good assistant when you need one, right? You know, it's like, I need some help. I need a little bit of backup here. But it was an amazing thing because I could see what was happening. I already kind of went into this whole thing with a, a, you know, some decisions made and I was going to stay in the area of the Spirit. And so this guy 
or at least the demon through this guy, started trying to draw me, I believe, into the arena of the flesh, insulting me. He started just calling me a worm. I don't know why, but he just started calling me a worm. Oh, you're a worm, you're a worm. And I was like, whatever, you know. And, and so in that, I didn't know what to do. So I just thought, I'm going to just read the Bible to him. And so I started reading the Gospel of John to him. And I went through the entire thing. I read the entire Gospel of John to this guy. Now, understand, this is a guy that could have easily wrapped me up in a pretzel, broke me in half, and walked out of the room. But one of the things he said was very interesting because as I was reading, he said, you think you're really smart, huh? I said, no, I really don't think I'm that smart. But he said, you really think you're smart because you've got me here and I can't move. I said, why? He goes, because there's blood all over you. And there's blood on the floor, and there's blood on the walls, and I can't leave. And there is no physical explanation for why that guy didn't leave, but you know what? Spiritually, there was. And this guy was sitting in a chair. He pulled his feet up off the ground. He was sitting in that chair like a baby in a high chair, and he couldn't move. And so the end of the story, a long story short, some guy, after I finished the Gospel of John, we, some guy, brothers joined us. We prayed for this guy, and you know what? That demon was literally cast out. And it, it was, I don't want to fascinate it. Yeah, it was, it was a victory from the Lord for sure. But when it was done, he was in his right mind, I was talking about this experience with him. He was explaining what was going on. I was like, wow, that was amazing. All this to say, number one, you do have a real enemy. But the second thing I want you to know is you don't have to fear him because he's a conqueror. I walked out of that room having more confidence in the Lord and in his protection than ever before. Your enemy is defeated. Understand that. And so knowing that he's defeated, notice what it says, who can charge, bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who declares you righteous. Got some problems with guilt? Got some problems with feeling shame and, oh man, I messed up in my past and all these things are haunting me? God has, if you've come to the cross, justified you. He has declared you righteous. And that is the highest court of the land. You can't go higher than Jesus being the judge. For instance, in our, in our country, the highest court of the land is the United States Supreme Court. And if in the Supreme Court, your case goes all the way to the Supreme Court, and there at the Supreme Court, it is decided by those justices that, you know what, this person is innocent. Who else can accuse you? What other court, what other prosecutor could accuse you of anything? None. You've already been declared righteous, innocent by the highest court of the land. So it is with you and I. We are declared just before God, declared righteous. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And so the second question he asks is, who? Who's going to condemn you? Who's going to accuse you? And who's going to condemn you? Why? Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, that right hand position is a place of authority. It's a place of power. 
It's a place of preeminence. And the point is, who's going to bring an accusation, a condemnation against you to Jesus if he is seated at the right hand of the Father? And what is he doing there? He is interceding for you. He is praying for you. It would be a useless thing to do to bring a condemnation against you. And so knowing that, knowing that, hey, you know what? I am not condemned you are not condemned by God, then why do I feel the way I do? Why do I have these times, these moments where I feel like, man, I just feel like a nothing. I feel like a wreck. I feel like I'm falling apart. I feel like I'm done. I feel like I'm going to give up. Why do, I, why do I feel like that? What's going on there? And we need to separate something in our minds. We need to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation because, yes, the Lord does bring conviction in our life. We as His children, when we mess up, when we blow it, when we're disobedient, when we're walking in a way that the Lord says, that is not a blessing to you, that is not honoring to me, that is unhealthy for you, that is sin, He will bring conviction upon us. But what does that conviction do? It draws us closer to the Lord. It humbles us. It brings us to the place where it's like, wow, Lord, you know what? I'm wrong. You're right. And in that humility, in that repentance, we start walking again in obedience, and then we start again walking in victory, in peace, in joy, the things that he wants us to have. That's what conviction does. Condemnation, on the other hand, is different. Condemnation is a very selfish thing. It's very self-preoccupied. Oh, I feel so terrible. Oh, I'm so awful. I'm so this. I'm so I just want everybody to leave me alone. I'm going to go hide somewhere. And condemnation separates us from the Lord. It drives us further away. And in that condemnation, it keeps us from God. My wife was telling me a true story about somebody that she knows that she lives down in Vista, and she would pull up into the, the, the church parking lot there at Calvary Chapel Vista. And for a season of time, she would park in the parking lot, but she wouldn't go in the building. She, she would watch families walk in with their kids. She'd walk husbands and wives walking. She'd see people carrying their Bibles, and they're joyful. And, and she's like, I have no business walking into that building. I have no business being in there. And so she would go as far as the parking lot, but she wouldn't come in. That's condemnation. Condemnation separates us. And so it was until she finally made it inside that building and finally heard the gospel, the grace of God, that's like, oh, and now there's no more condemnation. Now there's freedom. And that's what the Lord wants to do. And so understand that, yes, there is conviction in the life of the believer, but there is no condemnation. There's no one condemning you. And so when we experience that condemnation, you bring it to the Lord. Verse 35 and 36, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And so who's going to separate you from the love of Christ. And all these things that are listed are primarily things that people do to one another. Tribulation, persecution, nakedness, sword, peril, all things that people do to one another that people through history have done to Christians. 
But those things don't separate you from his love. Now, we need to disconnect something that happens in our mind because sometimes when people treat us bad, we assume that God must not love us. Nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, one of the lessons we learn as we study the history of the church through the book of Acts is one of the biggest mistakes the enemy ever made was persecuting the church. When the church was persecuted, the church and the gospel spread like wildfire. It just went everywhere. It was the biggest mistake the enemy, in my opinion, could have made is persecuting the church because, man, then the gospel just went out everywhere. One of the most effective things the enemy did in trying to hinder the work of God is he joined the church. That's when there were some problems. That's when there was division. That's when there was disunity. That was the work of the enemy. And so he joined the church. He learned. But you see, things that happen in our lives, what people can do to us, they don't separate us from the love of Christ. He loves you. And so the second thing I want you to remember is this. The first is, God is for us. The second is this, who can be against us? And really the answer is no one. Not successfully. But understand that when things are coming, just say, hey, who's going to be against me? Because the Lord is for me. And then the third section of our, our study today, last three verses, 37 through 39, you are more than a conqueror. Why? Because you are loved. You're loved. Take a look at verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are more than conquerors, not just conquerors. It'd be good enough, in my opinion, just to be a conqueror. But he says you are more than a conqueror. Why? Well, one reason is you started in victory because you were born again. And then you live in victory because you walk in the Spirit. He is walking with you. And ultimately, you have victory because you're going to heaven. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. And so if you're more than a conqueror, when the battles come, embrace the battles. Stay in it. Don't give up. Don't run for cover. Don't hide. Don't get discouraged and say, you know what, I quit. There's never a question. You're a, a victor. You're more than a conqueror. Now, sometimes we don't feel like that. Feelings can be kind of deceptive, can't they? We, we don't feel like a conqueror. Sometimes I, don't, I wouldn't identify myself as a conqueror, but we're an interesting group of people. Why? Because we're a group of people that have actually benefited greatly by virtue of another man's efforts. Consider these five men. Five men that you football fans will definitely know who they are. Dan Marino, Barry Sanders, Deacon Jones, Dick Butkiss, Fran Tarkenton. Great football players. What do they have in common? Huh? No Super Bowl ring, right? These are five guys, as great as they are, they've never won a championship. They don't have a ring. Here's the hard part of this quiz. Okay, you ready? Patrick Pass of the Patriots, Jared Lorenzen of the Giants, Limus Swede, who is a, a receiver, his career statistics, these is for his entire career, are this. Seven receptions, for 69 total yards. That was his entire career. Not a game, his entire career. 
So what do these guys have in common? Well, one thing they have in common is they never help their team, right? I mean, they either didn't play at all or when they did, they weren't really helping anything. But what other thing do they have in common? They all have Super Bowl rings. You see, these guys benefited greatly by virtue of another man's efforts. They won because they were connected to a winner. And I want to suggest to you that's my story. I want to suggest to you that's all of our story. That on our own, we're a hot mess. We just, we just are a mess. But because we are connected to the winner, all of a sudden we become, in fact, he spells it out so clearly in verse 37, we're more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. And so in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. More. And so when you feel like, wow, you know what? I really feel pretty defeated today. I think we all go through that. We all go through seasons where we feel like, man, you know what? I just, I don't know how I'm going to keep going in all this thing. I don't know. I'm just completely discouraged in this. I want to give up. I want to cash it in. Somebody needs to talk me off the ledge. I'm here to talk you off the ledge. Because so often when we go through these seasons in our life where it's really rough and really bad, we need to just gain a little perspective. We need to take a step back and consider the bigger picture of what God is doing. When you look at your life and you, you say, well, I feel like I'm just completely defeated right now. That's not really true. You are not being defeated. You are being developed. God is doing something. You might be looking at your situation in life thinking, why am I suffering such great loss at this time? Why are so many things being taken from me? And the answer is you're not suffering great loss. You are being, as Jesus put in the Gospel of John, you are being pruned. You're having parts of your life removed. Why? So you will become more fruitful. Why do I feel like I'm all by myself? Why do I feel like nobody understands me? Why do I feel like I'm left all alone? And the answer is, no, you're not alone because Jesus said, I won't leave you or forsake you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. You are not being left alone. You are learning that Jesus is sufficient for you even in those times when it's just you and him. And so in all these things, we're learning, hey, you know what? We're more than conquerors. Lastly, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when I consider verses 38 and 39, you're more than a conqueror, and nothing separates. And these are all the extremes of life. Death, life, past, present angels powers and principalities whatever extreme there is in life nothing separates us from the love of god the heights or the depths you see god doesn't love you more when you're doing good and love you less when you're struggling 
God doesn't say, oh, you did really good today. I really love you. Or, man, you really messed up today. I don't love you so much right now. God does not do that. Nothing separates us from his love. And so the third thing I want you to remember is this. We've already learned that he is for us. Secondly, we've learned who can be against us. And thirdly, we need to understand that we will always be loved. Always. You'll always be loved. And so you can kind of wrap up. You can close up your Bibles at this point. We're almost done. I just want to speak to the person here, the people here right now that think this all sounds good, Pastor Ray. But you don't understand. I am the perennial loser. When somebody messes something up, it's going to be me. I get that. I understand that. I'm with you in that. We all blow it on some way, shape, or form. I was part of a basketball team. Our church put together, we played in a park league just to get a little exercise, have some fun. And so in this particular game, right at the beginning, right at tip-off, you know, the, the ref tells you, you know, this is your goal, this is your goal, throws the ball up. And the tip went to me. I got the ball. Don't answer that. And, and this is a good story. And, and, so, and so I got the ball. And I had a clear path to the basket. I was so excited. I was going to make the first basket of the game. And so I took off like a rocket. I only had one guy chasing after me, and he, he couldn't keep up with me. And I got the first bucket of the game, but I made it in the wrong basket. <laughs> and when you score the first basket for the other team, you are a loser. <laughs> but understand this. You and I, we can live our lives just, just focused on our failures, paralyzed by the mistakes we've made, just like, I, I can't do anything, just letting the past, our failures, our sin consume us. Or we can say, you know what, Lord? You've already made some promises to me. And, and I know what your word says. And, and I know that in this room as his kids there are no losers in this room understand that this there is no place for losers here because you're more than a conqueror so when everything feels like it's against you remember that God is for you the first thing I want you to remember God is for you when it feels like all you do is fail and you've blown it and made some huge mistakes. Remember, God isn't keeping score. And who can be against us? Who is accusing you? Who is condemning you? No one. And when it feels like no one cares, when it feels like you're all alone, you're isolated, nobody can understand, remember this, He will always love you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for your mercies. We thank you for your love. We thank you for meeting us in this place today and, and really just giving us your truth about how you, how you look at us as your kids. And Lord, there's some people that embrace that completely and they, they just walk in victory. There's other people that are struggling with it and other people, they haven't even connected that yet. They don't have that connection to you by faith. And so they carry the guilt and they carry the shame and they carry the, the, the 
pains of this life with them everywhere they go. And, and the condemnation weighs heavy upon them. And it's unnecessary because you delivered your son up for us all. He went to a cross. He died there on that cross, paying the penalty for our sins. And he rose from the grave and he now knocks on the door of hearts and lies saying, let me in. I want a relationship with you. I want to be your God. I want to be your Savior. I want to be your friend. I want to walk with you through this life and I want to take you to heaven. And so, Lord, if there's anybody in this room today that needs to turn to you, we pray that this would be the day of salvation. This would be the time and this would be the moment that they would turn to you by faith and receive your grace and your goodness. If you're here today and you would say, yeah, I don't want to carry guilt anymore. I don't want to carry shame anymore. I don't want to carry condemnation anymore. And, and so, yes, I'm ready to, to let Jesus take that and wash it away. If that's you today, I want to give you this opportunity to receive that. This is an invitation for you to have Jesus come into your heart, come into your life, and clean things up. Maybe you need to return to him. Maybe you've drifted and you find yourself here thinking, I'm so far away. I don't know if I can come back. You can come back. This might be brand new for you. You've never even heard this before. You don't have to figure it out. You receive it by faith. Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. He wants to forgive you. And so as we're in this time, this spirit of prayer, if you're here today and you know, that's for me. I need that. I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Get up out of your seat. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and I want to lead you in a prayer of inviting Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be your Lord, to be your Savior. And so in this moment, if the Lord is speaking to you, He's drawing you. How do you know He's drawing you? You feel that tug. You feel that tug in your heart. It's sometimes very small, very still, but it says, that's you. You need to get right with God. If that's you right now, I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Get up out of your seat. I know it's a bold thing to do, but I want you to stand to your feet and I want to lead you in prayer. And so as we're in this spirit of prayer right now, I'm going to invite you right now. Stand to your feet and we're going to pray together. And if you know that's exactly what I need, God is here to meet you. He's here to forgive you. He's here to do a work in your life. He won't force his way in. He won't make you come to him. But if you come to him, he will receive you. If you open your heart, he will come in. And so this invitation is for you. God bless you there in the back. Anyone else? I can see you. God bless you there on the side. Anyone else? The Lord is ministering. Christians, just please pray right now. God bless you here in the front. Anyone else? The Lord is speaking to your heart. He's moving in this place. He's moving in, in people's lives. And so we trust that he's got something good. God bless you right here in the middle. Anyone else? The Lord is... He, He's just appealing to you. He's drawing you. By the power of his Holy Spirit, you hear that voice saying, you need to come, you need to receive. Just receive what he's got for you. Anyone else? Anyone else? 
I'm not going to drag this out. I just want to make it very clear that these opportunities don't come along every day. And so if the Lord is calling you today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so you come to him today. Anyone else? Anyone else? Awesome. Good for you guys. Good for you. I might have missed a few because the lighting up here is kind of hard to see, but I just trust there's people responding and, and it's, it's a blessing. It's an answer to a lot of prayer. As we continue to pray, if you are standing right now, if you're on your feet and you're, you're ready to pray, I'm going to ask you to look up at me for one moment. If you're standing, look up at me. I'm going to ask you two favors, those of you who are standing. First, I'm going to ask you this. At the end of the service, there's going to be some people right up here in the front, right in front of the platform here. Would you please meet with them after? They want to give you a Bible if you don't have one. They want to give you a, a, a moment of encouragement. And so would you meet them after? Will you meet them after? Will you meet them after? Awesome. Second thing I'm going to ask you to do is just pray with me. And so I'm going to lead you in prayer. Uh, I'm going to ask you just to repeat the words I say. So pray with me. Just repeat these words, word for word. Just say this. Heavenly Father, I confess. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sin. I believe that he's risen and I surrender my life to you. Help me to walk with you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.